Uh, it's a great time of year. You know, and everybody is celebrating Christmas. Everybody uh, has something. They talk about it. When they mention Christmas, they're talking about Jesus. Uh, whether they like it or know it or not, uh, that's what's happening. And, it, you know, I think it's such a great time of year that those of us that are following Jesus, that we take the opportunity to bring Jesus into conversations. And, uh, and I hope you're excited about that. Turn your Bibles over to John chapter 15. Um, it's an exciting day as well. Our Stephen and Nicola here. Stand up, guys. Stephen and Nicola, they're going to get baptized at the end of service today. We are very excited about this. Fantastic. Um, hope you all enjoyed and got your fill of uh, Thanksgiving turkey. No, uh, the tryptophan has worn off since then, and you'll stay awake while I'm preaching. Um, not that any of you would ever sleep during that time. Uh, but uh, we, we are going to continue our study of John. If you're visiting with us, it, it is our uh, every Sunday until we're done with it, which will be through Easter next year. We'll be preaching in John. So if that's your favorite book, you've come to the right place. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked in John 14 about how Jesus, in preparation of, uh, in preparing his disciples to, uh, to be ready for his departure, he helps them understand that, that, that whenever he leaves, they're actually going to get something even better than him in the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, that's what we have. And then it goes on uh, here in, in chapter uh, 15. We'll go ahead and read the first 17 verses of chapter 15. Um, John 15. I am the true, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that, you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you, ha that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's uh, Father, it is so encouraging to know that you are stable, you are constant, you are 
never changing. And it's so great that we have a Savior in Jesus that, uh, that is the true vine. And Father, I pray that today as we study this text, that our hearts moved and stirred as, uh, as we about connection to you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the final I am statement. There were seven I am statements throughout the book of John. This is the last time he will use the phrase I am, but it's not in the context, not in the, in the way that it's intended. The, the, the I am phrase would always bring Israel back to God himself at the burning bush. Uh, if they ask you who sent, sent you, tell them I am. Uh, that's why Jesus was using that phrase as often as he was. I am. It reminded them of God. Uh, the Israelites would have always thought that. In this, in this text, they would have thought of something else as well. Because he says this phrase, I am the true vine. What would that have brought to the Israelites? It would have actually been a, a, a challenging thing for them to hear, to be reminded about being this vine. Uh, turn over to, to Isaiah chapter 15. And we'll see what these guys would have, uh, what they would have, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. So in chapter 5, in verse 1, it says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song uh, concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but yielded wild And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedges, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they, that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. The nation of Israel was meant to be the vine of God, God's vineyard. He had planted it, prepared it, uh, and, and all of that. There's, there's, uh, there's parables about it throughout the New Testament because that's, that was the purpose of that was to get the nation of Israel to realize who they were. This is a, what you see up here is actually a piece of stone from the synagogue, the, 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 the period after Jesus, the synagogue in Capernaum, which they have uncovered uh, in, in, in Capernaum. It's been found, and these pieces were found. What you see, what you see here is this is a grapevine. This, this is a cluster of grapes. That's what they would have been reminded of because they're told in here, you are God's vineyard. Isaiah was a, was a book telling them what's going to happen if they didn't repent. So they actually would, would, been, would have been challenged by this. Sadly, we know they didn't repent, but at some point they returned and this became even a, 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 like a piece of, of, of look at who we get to be, God's vineyard. That's why Jesus used it, and he says, I am the true vine. Go back to John chapter 15. A couple, couple of points I want us to take from this text today. First, first point is, 
we need to we need to allow the gardener to do his work. Allow the gardener to do his work. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever done much pruning. Here's a picture of of a you know grape grapevines that have been pruned. When they prune grapevines, they prune them down to nothing. They look dead. I remember a movie. I don't remember the name of the movie. I can't recall it. But you know what's amazing about the movie was the grape the vineyard was an old vineyard. It had been around for decades and it burned completely. But then they realized that the root was still alive. They scraped away. Once they got it all put out, they, they scraped away, and the root was still alive. What did that mean? It meant that the next season they were going to have grapes. They were going to be provided for. But that actually helps us get it. When we think about this idea of Jesus being the true vine, it's something that even the worst of worst can't get rid of. It won't, you know, that he is, that he is solid. But, but this idea of pruning grapes, pruning is essential to get greater fruit. Uh, I, I, I have a garden. I, li- I get asked regularly, what do you, what's your hobbies? What do you like to do? And I would often say, oh, I like to bowl, or I like to, if I have time to play golf, I don't play much at all, but, but, but I enjoy doing these things. But what I really enjoy, besides my hobby is, I like to make sure my yard looks nice. I actually like it outdoors. But I don't like pruning. Uh, because it doesn't make the flowers look nice. In October, the moms you go and buy at Sam's Club are beautiful. But if you come and look in my yard right now, all the mums are dead. We've cut all, all the dead parts off, and they're just blah. They look terrible. But what I do know is that in the summertime, they'll get green, and in the fall, they'll be beautiful again. Now, in our lives, we don't like being pruned like this. Jesus being the, the, the vine, the trunk, uh, is, is the picture that Jesus is saying. And, and God is the, the vine dresser. He's the, 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 the one walking in the vineyard, pruning the branches of the vine. He takes away the branches that are dead and fruitless. He, he prunes those that are alive. This word for prune is literally, in some versions, it's cleans. Uh, the, the, it means clean or pure like a vine cleansed by pruning and so fitted to bear fruit. There's some things we need to know about pruning that I think are important. And one of them is, is that when you're pruned, the trunk can be exposed. When, you, when, when there's no pruning, when these are full grown, you can't see the base. But when there's pruning, the trunk is exposed. Who is the trunk? Jesus is the trunk. So when you are pruned, that's actually the opportunity for Jesus to be shown to other people. It's not a time for us to complain or moan, which is what I know I can be prone to do when difficulty comes, when it's time to be pruned. I don't, I don't like to be pruned. Uh, it, 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 I can get in my own way of growing because I don't like to be pruned. I don't want the pain. None of us wants the pain. But another, another thought about pruning is that you can't prune yourself. That's what we want to do, is we want to prune ourselves. Have you ever seen, there's a movie, one of the uh, C.S. Lewis movies, uh, the, the, the Voice of the Don Treader. Uh, in, in the movie, you have, the, um, you have this, uh, this dragon. Uh, and the dragon is, called, is Eustace Scrub. And, uh, and, and Eustace Strub was a little boy. 
And this is what, in the book, is what C.S. Lewis writes about, uh, about this dragon. He, 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 he not only finds himself in a dragon's cave, but discovers it's turned into a dragon. Uh, he attempts to remove the scales, but cannot do so by himself. Finally, the lion, the Christ, used to describe what happens next. This is what the lion said, but I don't know if he spoke. You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate. So I just lay flat on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I'd ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peeled off. This is how pruning works. We'd rather do it ourselves, but the fact is, if we try to do it ourselves, we won't get to the root of the issue. We're soft on ourselves. Another thing that, that I, it, it, whatever is noble and attractive in us usually comes from the cutting we would have avoided ourselves. Isn't that true? That we we want to be easy, but if somebody we love comes in and helps us, then they're willing to go deep and challenge us. And though it may not be pleasant at the time, hopefully we'll be grateful. And we'll come back and even say, thank you so much that you were willing to tell me the hard thing. That's how, that's how it is in pruning. Psalm 119, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now I obey your word. Verse 71, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I'm... Uh, James must have learned this for himself. In James chapter 1 and verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God has to do the pruning so that your life will flourish. We all want our lives to flourish. If I took a poll of everybody in here, 100% of you would say, yes, I want my life to be better in 2020 than it was in 2019, right? And we've seen amazing things. It's been incredible to see how God has brought about growth and, 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 and in numbers, in depth, and in, spiritual, in, in spirituality, in faith. It's been so inspiring to watch. But what, is it, what does that mean? That means there's going to be some time of pruning. Are you going to let yourself be pruned? Or are you going to let yourself uh, be pruned so that you can grow in even greater ways? Or are you going to end up being the one that dies on the vine that gets, that gets has to get gathered up and thrown out into the fire? It's a very vivid picture. It's a very challenging thought. How do you consider the challenges? Do you consider it as pure joy, or do you find yourself saying, Woe is me, God. Why is it so difficult, God? Why do I feel like I'm always being opposed, God? Well, maybe it's because you've been fighting and pruning so long, you've forgotten that you've become the dragon. You've become exactly what you but you haven't wanted to be. But, you, but it's even difficult for you to see that for yourself. I ask you all, 
and even myself, how do we all view pruning? Do we embrace it or do we run from it? Is it something we appreciate and are grateful for and say, thank you, sir or ma'am, may I have another? Or do we run from it, cancel that meeting again and again and again? You see text from that friend who's trying to help you. No, I'm going to ignore. I'll get back to them later. That never ends up happening. You're trying to avoid pruning. Let me tell you, you might be able to avoid it in this life, but God's going to have his way. You can either learn it the hard way, or you can do it God's way while you're here. When God puts men and women in our lives to help prune us, that can see areas that need help more than us, will we be man or woman enough to go to those closest to us and say, please help me. I know I'm where I need to be. 2019 hasn't turned out the way I thought it would. Please help me. It's a great thing about New Year's. You get a new start. But as followers of Jesus, we get that every day. We get renewing every day. Our souls are being renewed. It's not easy. It's not fun. But it's cleansing when it happens. And, and it's even refreshing. Acts 3.19 tells us that, that refresh, times of refreshing will come. How do you view pruning? The question really is not whether or not you want to be pruned. The question really is, do you want to remain in the vine? The, the word for remain, that's the, that's, the, that's the point. Second point is remain in the vine. The, the ESV, which is the version I read, used the term abide over and over again. Actually, it's used 11 times in those first 11 verses of John 15. And the, the Greek for abide, it, 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 it applies to place, to, to remain in this vine, is to stay connected to Jesus even in the most difficult of times. In Hebrews chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews uses a phrase, let us hold swervingly to the hope we profess. And that word for holding, it's a nautical idea. The idea is that on a a sailboat, uh, there's always currents in the sea. On the sailboat, you're being pushed in the direction the wind is blowing you. What do you have to do? You have to... You have to steer into the breeze, into the wind. You have to steer into the current to go the direction you want to go. If you just let go, what's going to happen to the boat? It's going to go the direction you don't want to go. You're trying to go here. The wind's blowing there. That's where you're going. That's what happens in our lives. Spiritually speaking, we drift. Our culture, where we are today and where we were when we became a Christian 23 years ago, is a completely different world. Uh, it was back in that day, I had a pager. The only phone that was on my first submarine was that big brick phone, and only the captain had one. I did go to Italy in the late 90s, I uh, was mid 90s, and they had Nokia phones in, in Italy, and I where did they get that? How do you get that? It was years before I even had that little thing. Man, how things have changed though. The culture creeps in. And if you think as a Christian you're immune to it, you are mistaken. God 
God knows that we naturally drift. This idea of remaining, abiding, no, I'm not going anywhere. I hope you're committed to that. I pray to God that it's your mindset that I'm not going anywhere no matter what happens. We are drifters by nature. Maybe that's another conversation that you have when you when you talk to the, your friend about uh, about when they see you, about some pruning. Ask them, do you see me as somebody who abides in Christ? Or am I abiding in my own strength? What do you abide in? Remaining in Jesus isn't something that's done without effort. And it's not something that comes naturally to us. We're battling with our sinful nature all the time. It's a constant battle back and forth. Read Romans chapter 7. You see Paul wrestling with his sinful nature. I, I, I do the things I do not want to do. And he goes back and forth. There's this wrestling match. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit ministering to our faith. Is the Holy Spirit winning the wrestling match that's going on in your life between the soul, uh, between the spirit and the flesh? Jesus doesn't just call himself the vine. He calls himself the true vine, which implies that there are false vines out there trying to pull us away from God's truth. We've got to make sure that we're holding on to the true vines. You know, one of the false vines is that we can, we can be a Christian and still live in the world. We can draft together Christianity and worldliness. I'm sorry, that doesn't work. We can't just have a, 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 a facade of, it might look nice when we drive down, drive down the highway uh, between here and Richmond, actually in many places, you see greenery. And sometimes it's trees, sometimes it just looks like trees, but if you look close, what it is is a vine. And that vine, that vine is called Sequoia. And, and that vine, it looks pretty. But if you go up underneath that vine, the tree is dead. That's what the world does to us. We might look pretty on the outside, but what's happening on the inside? When we think we can graft ourselves in, graft the world, you know what I mean when I say graft, right? Uh, have you ever seen a grafted tree? It's like they take a, my dad did this with trees when I was growing up. You graft a pecan tree, you get better pecans. Don't know how I remember any of that because I never did it myself. But you, you basically take one variety and you're growing another variety in the ground. And you split the bottom one and you stick it and you tape it together and then it begins to grow and it becomes a grafted tree. Uh, that's what grafting is. We've been grafted into Jesus. We actually there's actually this biblical description of that 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 shows that we are grafted into the vine. Sometimes, what fruit are we producing? So I'll talk about that in a minute. The false false vine number two is that is that we that we think that we can live selfishly and still follow Jesus. This pursuit of once I get ahead, then I'll have time. Once I once my life slows down, once my children get to here, once once I you know we'll always put this. Or guess what happens before you before you know it. You're just caught up in everything else. And you've lost sight. You can't even see the more. You've lost sight of it all. 
we need to we need to not put aside the way of Jesus. We need to throw away the idea that that once I get ahead, I'll be fine. In Luke 12, Jesus talks about a man who had a good crop and he thought, well, I've had a good crop. Let me go and build another building and I'll have storage for my stuff. And in verse 12, in chapter 12 and verse 20, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. How would you describe your richness toward God? It doesn't say not to have things. This is is the warning of how it will be with anyone who has these things, stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. It leaves it pretty general, doesn't it? If he said, does not give a hundred bucks toward God, some of us would be fired up about that, wouldn't we? He doesn't do that. Because rich to you and rich to me are different things. But if you're not closer to what, if we're not leaning toward what we're relying on what we think, God forbid we should end up like this man who has been given this warning and told, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. You never know. You never know when the end's coming. It's okay to get ahead, but don't do it at the, at the, at the cost of your soul. Uh, we had a great parent-teen devotional on Friday night. I was very encouraged by that. Uh, two of the two of the, the, the couple, the Visages, who've been part of the beach region for 30 years or so, um, shared, and their uh, middle daughter, Elena, shared, and her husband shared. They both became Christian teenagers, and uh, actually he was a professional pitcher. He pitched in single-A ball with the Chicago Cubs, got drafted out of after getting a full ride at Princeton, for, played baseball for four years. Did very well, but they were completely committed to Jesus. They would go to their coaches and say, hey, I'm not going to be here on Wednesday nights because I've got church. I'm going to go to church. And they both got, they both went to college. One of them became a professional pitcher. He didn't, he didn't continue on because of other challenges, but, but God has blessed him tremendously. If you think that you need to choose something that pulls you away from God in order to achieve something, that's not God's way. Are there times when we might have to choose to not do I can't. I can't even think of one. I cannot think of one time when God has called me to compromise my commitment to Him in order to get something He wants me to have. It doesn't make any sense. That's why we need other people to help us realize, wait a second, you've lost the plot. You're giving in to these false vines. They're not true. Run away. Your friends are trying to tell you. There are many different false vines out there. Maybe you need to figure out which one is yours, if there's any. And throw them out. Get rid of them. Get that pruning. Remaining in Jesus, really, relatively speaking, 
is not a difficult thing, especially when you think about the benefits. And we the benefits go on in half of this scripture. It's all about the benefits. In verse 6, we won't be thrown into the fire. Amen. That's good news. We avoid the fire. I actually read something last night. Maybe you, I don't know. I don't remember where I read it. But it talked about a person that wasn't going to church. And it, this doesn't apply to most of you because you're here. But, but, but he, he hadn't been going to church and his minister visited him. And, and he, it was a cold night and they had a fire in the fireplace. And the minister me, welcomed him and he went into the kitchen and the minister just didn't say anything to him. Sat by the fire and he took a piece of coal out of the fire. Didn't say anything. Set it next out on the hearth, the hearth. And then it just sat there in silence. And the ember, of course, just went dark. Right? And then the minister put it back in the fire, and it immediately lit up. He got up, and he left. And on his way out, the gentleman with a tear in his eye shook his hand and said, that was the most fiery sermon you've ever preached. And the man didn't say anything. The guy hadn't said anything. What's the point? We need to be connected. We, we get to have each other. That's one of the great benefits. That we get to stay on fire. Connected to one another. Verse 7 and verse 16 repeat the idea. You can ask for whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Don't start getting selfish. God knows, you know, whatever is His will. But what are you asking for? We need to be asking for amazing things. What do you want to see God do in your life? What are your goals for the new year going to be? What are you going to put before God is that impossible prayer that you thought could never happen? God wants to do those things. He's just waiting for you to ask. James 1 says in verse 6, when, ye ask, when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Man, what, how exciting is it that God hears us, but are we asking? And when we ask, do we believe that God will, do, will answer our prayers and we get we get to have we get to call Jesus our friend as he says in this text that he is his friend and he no longer calls him servant but friend fourth we get true and complete joy as the text describes this thing I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your your joy may be full in verse 11 that fullness of joy only comes from Jesus I'm not giddy happiness. I'm not talking about hype. I'm talking about true joy that can only come from Christ. Fifth, you will bear much fruit. Verse 8 and verse 16 say similar things. Uh, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Uh, it It is proof, it is evidence that we are following Jesus by the fruit of our lives. What fruit is that? Because I think we, we know about the fruit of, of, uh, of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, gentleness, self-control, all of those things from Galatians 
5, uh, but also the fruit of making disciples. Disciples making disciples. We talk about that all the time, producing fruit. So which one is it? Which one's he talking about? I think the answer is yes. The answer is yes. I think one affects the other. If we are loving uh, and, and, and having the fruits of the Spirit that are already in you, whether they're being exhibited or not, is something you've got to work out and go back to point number one, get some pruning, let those, let those fruits flourish. How's the fruit, how, how fruitful is your life? I'm not asking you when you baptize the last person. You, that's not my question. How fruitful is your life? You take the question however you want it to go. Whatever applies to you. If you're seeing a lack of fruit in whatever area, go after it, fix it, get help, get pruned. Ask somebody to dig deep into your heart and figure it out. If you need help, ask. We need to ask ourselves if we've been seeing these benefits in our lives. I love, I love it when we study the Bible with these young people and, and they get so excited about the fellowship. To see, to see Nicola and, and, and Stephen, who are prepared to get dressed right now to get baptized, but to see her so happy yesterday when we were counting the cost. Are you, are you ready? How do you feel? I feel great. I'm so excited about this. Do you remember when you got baptized? In that first church service you came to after that? How excited you were? Where'd that go? How, how, how have you allowed that to faith. Remember what God has done. He is the vine dresser. Something I forgot to mention about pruning. When you get pruned, what's the vine dresser do when he's pruned? He's reaching, he's reaching down as close as you can get and clipping that vine. Have you ever thought about that? When you're being pruned is when you're actually closest to the Father. What an idea. That when we're going through difficult times, God is choosing to be closest to us at that time. God is with us in all of these things. How amazing is that? That He prepares it all for you and I. So that ultimately... Because of our lives, others will look at him and say, wow, God must be amazing. Not because we're amazing, but because we are happy in times that everybody else might seem sad. We're united when the rest of the world is divided. We're, we're, we're coming from all different walks of life, young, old, uh, uh, white, black, everything in between. And we get along we actually enjoy and love being together. So unlike the world. We're sitting in the midst of the most segregated time of the, of week, of the week right now. This church and that church and that. Uh, by the grace of God, we get to be in His vineyard. And where I sit, the vineyard's looking pretty good. But I do know that pruning times have to come. Challenges will come. Get help. Maybe you're sitting there right now saying, what is this guy talking about? Can't he just stop talking so I can go to IHOP? I got three more points. No, I'm kidding. I don't. 
if, if you don't know what I'm, if, you don't, if you've never experienced being part of God's vineyard, let me tell you, it's a special place to be. And I want to encourage you and even challenge you to grab the person that invited you today and ask them to sit down and show you in the Bible how God has changed them and how He can change you as well. The difference He will make in your life is astounding. Let's be committed on the peninsula in our relationship with God that we allow the gardener to do His work. He has a lot of work to do on us and on our hearts. Let's make sure that we embrace it and don't run away from it. And let's make sure that we remain in the vine, that we, uh, that we stay connected to each other and connected to Jesus. It's impossible to say, I'm close to Jesus, but I just don't like these people. That's a whole nother sermon. But there's no separation between those two. God and His people go hand in hand. you got issues with His people, you got issues with God. I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you. You've got to work those issues out, whatever they are. Let's live that way on the peninsula. Amen, church. Um, I don't see Stephen and Nicola.